Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 18. John, chapter 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Christ Jesus. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. John 1, 1 through 18. Good morning. We are taking a break from our study in the book of Romans. And we're going to study during the Christmas season and the first few weeks of January about God the Father. God the Father. Now, this is going to be this is going to be difficult for me and maybe difficult for you to hear. Well, I'll put it this way. Today I have one goal. One goal. That's to completely overwhelm you with God. Completely overwhelm you with God. So, this is going to be a tough task, but let's do it. try it. <clears throat> Our study will look at God from God's point of view. Looking at God from God's point of view. This may be uh, difficult for us, but easy for God. Here you go. We'll start with, why is God the Father the best Christmas gift in the history of of mankind. Why is God the Father the best Christmas gift in the history of mankind? First off, we're going to look at God has attributes that sh humans share with Him 
in some aspect. In other words, there'll be attributes of God that we know what it is. And we know how to do it. The problem with these attributes is that God will do them far better and perfectly than you do. Far better and perfectly compared to you. This is important to know who God is because you are in a relationship with God. This is a relationship. I love uh, doing uh, premarital counseling. I love it. It's one of my joys. I have a good time doing it. One of my goals is to get them, the couple, to something that they did not know about the other person. Oh, come on. You've got to know how fun this is. I'll give you an example. Okay? I was going to premarital counseling, and I brought Carol with me. Okay, good thing. Okay, good. Good. And the, the leader, Dr. Jensen, had a whole, we had a group about, I don't know, about 10 couples. And he went around the room asking each person a question about their spouse. And Carol got a question about me. And I thought, well, that's an easy question. He asked Carol where I was born. Should be pretty easy. She said, Los Angeles. Now, I said, I don't think I was born there. I think I was born in Montgomery, Alabama on an Air Force base. But what happened, and it made the, the group of 20 people laugh very hard. She didn't know that. One of the things I tried to do in premarital counseling is to get the person to know something they didn't know before. And this is a difficult thing, or a good thing, in a relationship. So what I'm going to try to do today is to get you to know God the Father. I want you to know about God the Father. So we're going to go through this. We're going to see how it works. What is God like? God is a personal God. Not only means that He's knowable personally, but that He is a person. He is a person. Therefore, God can never be said to be an it. God is a He. God is a spiritual essence, intelligent, eternal, true, good, pure, just, merciful, most free from the infinite power of wisdom. Another pastor said, God is personal, spirit, personally good, who is holy, love, creates, sustains, and orders all. We are discerning that God of the Bible is referring to him essentially in two ways. Elohim, which is his Hebrew name that's translated God, refers to his power and transcendence. He is the way out there. He is way out beyond you. He's way beyond 
all reach. He is all power. And at the same time that he's Elohim, he's also Yahweh, which means a personal being, that you can know him, that he's imminent, that he's close to you, that he's at hand with you. The aspect of God becomes clearer as you revealed in Jesus Christ. He is somebody you can know, but he is also Elohim. He is all power and transcendent. He is the giver of all, and all his creatures are receivers. He is the giver of all, and all creatures of his are receivers. So here you go. Let's go. Some attributes that the humans share with him in some respect. Now, you're not going to be able to write this all down. Try to get as many as you can, but here we go. God is holy. God is holy. I have verses for all of these. We don't have time to go to them. God is love. God is just. God is truth. God is righteous. God is gracious. God is patient. God is faithful. God is wise. God is good. God is merciful. God is my refuge. God is a personal God. God is a giving God. God is a provider. God is my shepherd. God is my victory. God is my peace. God is my healer. God is my comfort. God is my forgiver. God is my burden bearer. God is my liberator. God is the lifter of my head. God is my joy. All of these things are attributes that you share in some respect. You can, can do the same thing, but in an imperfect way. God does it perfectly. God does it all the time. God does these attributes the best way possible. Now, if God is the best Christmas gift of all kind, there are also attributes that are unique to Him. Attributes that are unique to Him. So they are only found in Him. You do not have these or the capability to do these, but God has these. This makes Him different than you. First off, God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. God is all-powerful. All-powerful. He is powerful enough to do everything He wants. He is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows what happened in the past. He knows what happens today. He knows what will happen tomorrow. And he knows all the possible ways tomorrow will happen. He is never changing. He is eternal. God is present everywhere. God is self-sufficient. God is the Almighty. God is the Everlasting Father. God is your Savior. God is your light. God hears prayers. And God is the God of all the earth. And lastly, but most importantly, maybe, God is the creator. God is the creator. In the Old Testament, they love stars. They love stars. This is Orion and called the Horsehead Nebula. You see the horse head there in the middle of it? It's a little, little interesting, but this is a part of the night sky. Now, in Los Angeles, we never saw these, okay? 
But in Kansas, you get to see some of these. And if you point your telescope in this area, this is what you'll see. This picture was an interesting picture. It, was, it had an exposure time of 900 minutes <laughs> so that you could see everything that God created. God creates stars, planets, constellations. He puts them together. They all reveal the hand of a creator God that leaves man without excuse. You cannot look at this and say there is no God. There is a God, and he created everything. Now, we need to look more at God. <clears throat> Turn to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to go quickly through a number of verses this morning. We'll try to get as much as we can out of these verses before the trap door opens up out here and I have to leave. Here we go. What is the essence of God the Father? What is God the Father? Who is God the Father? What makes God the Father? First, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God says to Moses, this is the middle of his uh, uh, reasoning, Moses' reasoning for why he can't be the witness for God. And God says one of the reasons he can be the witness is that God is the I am who I am. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you will say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He says, I am. The first thing you learn about the essence of God the Father is that God the Father has a nature. He has a nature. He is I am. Therefore, he is a person. He is a person. And he wants to be known. He wants to be known by you. The nature of God, here God, by the way, is Elohim. The nature of man is is not the same as the nature of God. They're similar, but they're not the same. Now I'm going to show you how they're different and they're same. God is a spirit and is an essence or a being or a person. God has the power of thought, will, actions, motion. God is not subject to corruption, to the need, to pain, to laws of nature. He cannot be seen with the natural eye. Uh, one pastor said, quote, God is in his nature of substance or essence, which is eternal, infinite, unchangeable, the common subject of all perfections, the common agent in all divine acts. I like that. God is the constant in this world. God is a person. He has a nature. Turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we get, need to get another aspect of the nature of God. What is the essence of God the Father? John chapter 4, drop down to verse 24. John chapter 4, verse 24. Everybody there? Here we go. Verse 24, God is a spirit. God is spirit. 
And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That leads us to number two. God has an essence that is non-material. He has an essence that's non-material. He's not made up of something. He is a spirit. He is a spirit. The nature of God is spirit. God is not bound in any way to a place or to things. Therefore, God can be known spiritually. He is not one spirit among many, but God has the essence of spirit. He's a spirit. Literally, if you were to translate this straight from Greek into English, it would be the spirit of God. The spirit of God. Uh, one pastor says, uh, I got it right here. One pastor said, the immaterial of God is a point of great importance, not only as it affects our views of his nature and attributes, but because once it's established there exists a pure spirit, living, intelligent, invested with moral properties, the question of immateriality of the human soul is regarded as settled. In other words, you have a soul, and the reason you have a soul is because you are made by a God who is a spirit. So he wants a relationship with your spirit and his spirit. God wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Being spiritual does not prevent him from being able to supply all the needs of mankind. He can supply everything you need even being a spirit. Turn back to John chapter 1, where we're doing our scripture reading. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 18. The end of the chapter, verse 18. Verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. No one has seen God at any time. But the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. In other words, you have never seen God the Father. No one has ever seen God the Father. But you've been privileged to see God the Son, Jesus Christ. Put it this way. Three. God has an essence that cannot be seen. God has an essence that cannot be seen. He's a spirit that cannot be seen. Therefore, you can say he is invisible. He's invisible. As a spirit, he's invisible. The mission of Jesus Christ was to reveal the invisible God the Father to the world. That's why Jesus came. God's total existence of all his spiritual being is never to be able to be seen by us, yet God still shows Himself to us through the things He created and through His Son, Jesus Christ. His quality or attributes can be clearly seen. God's invisible attributes are seen by God's eternal power and divine nature. He is seen, even though He's invisible. You can see His actions in this world. Fourth, Turn to Psalm 147. Psalm 147, verse 5. So you guys stay on track here with me. God is a spirit. God is a spirit. He's a person. 
and he's invisible. He's a person, a spirit, and he's invisible. God is God. Psalm 147, drop down to verse 5. Verse 5. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. His understanding is infinite. In other words, number four, God has an essence that knows everything. God has an essence that knows everything. His his understanding is infinite. He knows everything. Therefore, he has an intellect. He has an intellect. This is one of the things you relate to him because he created you. You have. Well, some of you have. Uh, No, all of you have an intellect. Okay? Some better than others. But we all have an intellect. We all know things. Now, guess what you know is not everything that God knows. God's intellect is perfect. How smart is God the Father? Well, the Bible says He sees all things. He knows the size and scope of the universe. He knows everything about the animal creation. He knows everything about mankind. He knows your thoughts, what you're thinking right now. He knows your words. He knows your deeds. He knows your sorrows. He knows your needs. He knows your devotion. He knows your frailties. He knows your foolishness. He knows his own. He knows the past, present, and future. He knows what might have or could have been. He knows both. God's thinking on your ability knows more than you. Notice what it says. Great is our Lord. He is great in his essence. He is great in his knowledge. And he knows more than you. There is no part of the universe, space, or inhabited by God. None where his being of perfect power, wisdom, and benevolence is not essentially present. He is present everywhere. He knows all things. God's thinking goes beyond your walls. You think you can hide from God behind a wall. And His knowledge goes behind that wall. His understanding is infinite. He is great in knowledge. He knows all creatures. He knows them clearly and completely. He is perfectly acquainted with your thoughts. Perfectly acquainted with your secret sins. He's perfectly understanding of your necessities, what you need, your circumstances, your problems, your hardships, your works, your ways. He knows them all. He knows all events. He knows all past events. He never forgets anything. That one really gets me. Because I forget things all the time. But God never forgets. God never forgets. God knows everything. Nothing escapes his eyes. He knows all future events. He knows all possible events. 
He's infinite. There is none above Him, none with Him, none like Him, in power or in any of His perfections or attributes. He is smart enough to create the world. Nothing is hidden from God's knowledge. His understanding is beyond measure. He knows all things at once. Everything that is possible and everything that's actual. He knows them all. If I took you out to Highway 77 and I got you out of my car and put you in the middle of the road and I tell you to look south, you look south. If I tell you to look north, you look north. And I tell you, tell me what you see. Well, you would describe what you would see. But what you see is just a bit of Highway 77. God sees everything. When you see just part of things, God sees everything. He knows everything. Believers know in part, but God knows the entire highway. He knows everything. Verse 6, 177 verse 6. The Lord supports the afflicted, and He brings down the wicked to the ground. The Lord supports the afflicted, and He brings down the wicked to the ground. God's thinking goes beyond my wisdom. The Lord supports the afflicted. The power of God is the ability and strength whereby He brings to pass whatever He pleases. He knows who's afflicted in this room. And God will not forsake you. Infinite and glorious is the Lord. He lifts up the weak, the mild, the humble, the afflicted, the lowly. He'll bring you up. He'll support you. He brings down the wicked to the ground. He brings down. God has an intellect that determines the needy from the wicked. He knows which group you're in. God can overturn the purpose of the wicked because He's God. He knows everything. Turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11. Come on now, don't get tired on me. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5. Verse 5. Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me. Is everybody there? Ezekiel should be right in the middle of the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 11. Back where their gold edges on your Bible are still at. Gold. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5. Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Thus say, thus says the Lord, So you think the house of Israel, for I know your thoughts. So you think, house of Israel, for I know your thoughts. God's thinking goes beyond your heart. He goes beyond your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what your thoughts are. He knows it. God can go beyond the walls that you hide your thoughts. He goes beyond the barricades you set up around your thoughts. You cannot think of something right now and keep it from God. God knows what you're thinking. God knows what the leaders in Ezekiel 11 are thinking, plotting, saying in private. Ezekiel was told to declare to them that God knows what they're thinking and they're saying. God knew their thoughts. The Lord knows your thoughts. 
whether good or bad, conscious, unconscious, even if we can no longer remember them, God knows our thoughts. God knows. I took books in the work. One of them is a pastor's Bible, a dictionary of words that I've given definition. You know how it started? I gave a definition one Sunday, and three Sundays later, somebody asked me about it, and I couldn't remember what the definition was. So I wrote it down, and I got, listen, I counted. Just last Thursday, I counted. I have 1,300 words, not 1,299, not 1,301. I have 1,300 even words in my dictionary because I can't remember all my definitions. God doesn't have a dictionary to remember definitions. God remembers and knows everything. He knows what you're thinking. And I'm not trying to compare God to the IRS, but I'm going to compare God to the IRS. Here you go. Patricia Ann Campbell. Patricia Ann Campbell. IRS, she sent in her tax return in Portland, in, Port, in Oregon. And the IRS said she's wrong. She's not in Oregon. She's in Colorado. Okay? She has, there are two of them, Patricia Ann Campbell's. One in Colorado, one in Oregon. Both have the same father named Robert. Both of them went to cosmetology school to do hair. Both are bookkeepers. Both have children's ages 21 and 19. They had a hard time telling the IRS who was who. Listen, God does not get confused on who you are. God knows you perfectly. If you're married, he knows you better than your spouse knows you. God knows everything about you. His thinking goes beyond your heart. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. Come on now, don't get tired. 1 Samuel chapter 23. See, this is all the makes up for all the Sundays where we stayed in one verse all day long, okay? <laughs> Here you go. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 11. 1 Samuel chapter 23. David, King, King David, well, he wasn't king yet. David is running away from Saul, and he goes to a town. Notice what it says, verse 11. Will the men of Kalil surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard, O Lord God of Israel? I pray, tell your servant, and the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kalil surrender me and my men into the hands of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. They will surrender you. Understand what's going on here. God's thinking goes beyond my future. God's thinking goes beyond my future. King David, running away from Saul, is asking God, will the guys in this town surrender me to Saul when Saul comes to town? Or can I stay hiding here? 
God says, if you stay here, they will hand you over to King Saul. Guess what David did? He got out of town. He got out of town. Therefore, God is telling him what would have happened if he would have stayed in town. You know, some of you have lived in the same house forever. But I've moved around. Every once in a while when I move around, I wonder, should I have moved around? God knows all the possible moves you could have taken. You know, I told you about applying one time when I was looking for a church, and I had five churches I applied to. I was the second guy, second to last guy chosen. They chose, they said it was between me and another guy, and they chose the other guy. Five times. Five times. God knows all the possible options in your future. He knows what could have happened if you did something different. He knows. He knows what would have happened. God knows every person would do in every possible situation. God expresses knowledge, not only what actually will happen, but what would happen under other circumstances. The town was never going to get a chance to betray David because David leaves. God knows the town people would do if he stayed and tells them in answer to his prayer. Turn to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. Don't get tired on me. Isaiah 46. Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah the prophet. He gives a great verse talking about God the Father. This gets us to number five. Here we go. Isaiah 46, verse 9. God has an intellect. He knows things. And notice verse 9. 46, 9. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. Okay, everybody says, duh. Okay, that's the response we're supposed to give to that comment. Of course there's no one like you, God. Declaring the end from the beginning. In other words, God knows the end, and he knows the beginning. Duh. And from the ancient of times, the things which have not been done. He knows the things that haven't been done yet saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Now, be careful here. Don't think about this too much. But God knows everything and he has a plan for everything. He has a plan for everything. Now, let's say tomorrow morning you get up and you get up and you pick out what you're going to wear and then you change your mind and pick out another outfit to wear and let's say you do it 16 times, okay? You are not faking out God. God knew which outfit you would put on. He laughed at you because you put it on 16 different outfits. But He knew it. Part of his plan, his purpose. 
What is the essence of God the Father? Number five. God has an essence that will act, that acts according to his character. He cannot do something against his character. His character, he will always act according to. In other words, God has a will. God has a will. In the Bible, it's called sometimes a will, a decree, purpose, a plan, actions, whatever it is, a number of different words that's used, but God has a plan, His will, and what He wills will get done. Even if it's you changing clothes 16 times to get to the outfit He wanted you to have on. He knew you would do that. God has an essence that acts according to His character, and He has a will. God will not be arbitrary, but acts in complete harmony with his character. He has a rational inclination towards good of his own nature. God will cause all things to be. God is not moved by anything outside himself. He wills to create through himself. Whatever he wants, he does. He has an absolute perfect free will. God must will and can will. Some things, his own goodness, for example, he must will. Some things he wills with absolute necessity. He does certain things so that he would be glorified. He does it, absolutely. Other things God does with a conditional necessity to it. For the goodness of creatures, for example, he will do something. Whatever is willed by conditional necessity or absolute necessity, creation, will do it. All created effects pre-existed in God's will. Everything that will happen tomorrow happened in God's will first. God's will is the cause of all things, so all created things pre-exist in God's knowledge. He knew about it. It, It's going to happen. It's part of the plan. God's will is uncaused. As to whether God's will is caused, Thomas Aquinas said, Rather, God's will is the cause of all things. Okay? God's will is the cause of all things. God will cause both the end willed and the means to get to that end. He will work out both. All things pre-existed in the first cause, God's will. There is no cause for God's will. God is free. God's will can never fail. The will of God is universal and causes all things. Therefore, the will of God is always fulfilled. God cannot fail. God cannot change His mind. Neither can God's will be changed, for God's will is perfect according to His perfect knowledge. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what will be. God's will is unchangeable. He does not mean that God does not change things, because He does change things, but it's all part of His will. God's will does not change even though He does will that other things change. His choices go beyond the boundary of time, declaring the end from the beginning. He knows what's the beginning. He knows what the end will happen on Thursday. And He knows what Christmas. He knows. He declares the end from the beginning. He's unique. 
He knows and chooses to do what He wills. He can declare the exact events that will happen from beginning of time to the end of time. Literally, God can use words and tell you the exact outcome of the events before they happen. Because God is. And God has a will. He knows from ancient of times things which have not been done. God can tell you what will happen even before they've been done. God has a plan for everyone. And God has a plan for you. And tomorrow morning, if you get up and change your clothes 16 times before you leave the house, he knew that you would do that. Part of his plan. His choices go beyond my ability to change his plan. My purpose will be established, it says. God's purpose, his will, his design will happen. It will be established. It will be stable. It will be settled. It will be fixed. He has power enough to secure the execution of his designs, his will. Here you go. Let me give you some verses. He has a plan that will stand firm. He has a plan for nature. He has a plan for nations. He has the plan for a wicked. He has a plan that may be carried out by humans without even the humans knowing it. God has a plan that can be seen. God will be established. He's omnipotent. He has all power. What God wants done will be done. His choices can go beyond my doubt. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. I will accomplish. He has the power to do it. His infinite wisdom, mercy, justice, His power to execute all His purposes. He knew from eternity what would come to pass. The future, He knows. The past, He knows. And all that is for the pleasure of God. Therefore, you trust the promises of God. For God's pleasure. God's goodness. What He originally planned will appear. What pleases Him will stand forever. God's will, God's purpose, God's decree are eternal, wise, completely from His free will. Which, of course, by the way, means if God has free will, humans don't. Humans don't. If you have freedom, it's freedom to respond to the will of God. But again, this is from God's point of view. It's absolute and unconditional. The will of God's the ultimate reason for everything that happens. God's will. Turn to John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. You're getting close to the end. Hang on. John, chapter 3. There's one more aspect of the essence of God we have to understand. And since we've been talking about it for the last six weeks, this should be easy. This will be review for you. John chapter 3, verse 36. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. We spend a lot of time talking about the wrath of God lately. Put it this way, number six. God has an essence that has feelings. That has feelings. He has feelings. Therefore, He has emotions. Emotions. He has emotions. He has, He, he as a person, has 
a will, has an intellect, and emotions, just like you, or you just like him. Part of his emotion is wrath. The Bible displays many emotions, compassion, tenderness, mercy, patience, rejoicing, leisure, pity, love, jealousy, all kinds of emotions. But there are some emotions that are inappropriate for God, not done by God. God never suffers. God's never homesick. God's never anxious about tomorrow. God is never inward troubled by divided intentions, compulsive, or addicted to something. God cannot be emotionally unstable in his feelings. The wrath of God is an emotion that's necessary because of his righteous reaction against unrighteousness. It's a common action that God has. So, application. Very simple. Will I have a greater awe and respect for God the Father? This purpose of a sermon to overwhelm you about God is just so that you will re awe and respect Him a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Knowing the truth about God's will should produce awe and respect. God's being a spirit should get more awe and respect. God's intellect beyond your knowledge should get your awe and respect. God having a will, a purpose, a decree should get you to trust Him. Knowing that God has emotions, you should make sure that your relationship with Him does not produce wrath from Him. Little boy and his mother were walking down the street. Little boy looked up in the sky, said, is God up there? Mother responded and says, yeah, he is. Then the young boy responded and said, wouldn't it be nice if he just put out his head a while and let us see him? What the boy didn't understand is God let you see him through the person of Jesus Christ. That person is the one we place our trust in. That we, through his blood, would be clean so we can have a relationship with this God. God who knows more, thinks more, feels more, than you do. I hope you know them. If you do, you'll meet a bunch of people this week, maybe on Thursday, that you can tell why you're thankful. Because you know God the Father. Father, I pray that you would be with us this week. I pray, Father, you would empower us this week, that you would do great and mighty things through us. All glory goes to you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.